And that's based on some really important insight, which is that we know that 93% of alcohol-free beer drinkers, so the people currently drinking alcohol-free beer, they also drink full-strength beer. So this is not a category dominated by teetotalers or sober people. You know, we're not just talking to people who are completely abstinent. This is actually talking to those who are switching and moderating and just looking for a bit more balance. Welcome to the Small Talk Podcast, brought to you by Small World, the agency that builds scale-up brands. I'm Dan. I'm Harvey. Felix, lovely to have you on the podcast. Thanks for coming down. I know you haven't come far. You've just come on a bike over from Farringdon. Uh, we still appreciate it. We're going to actually start with something a little bit unorthodox, which I'll get onto in a second, um, uh, which is a brilliant piece of marketing, which I'll touch on. But it'd be great if you could give us a few lines on who you are, um, how you've come to be here today, and a brief introduction to Freestyle. Nice. Yeah, cheers. Yeah, pleasure to be here. I'm Felix, co-founder of Freestyle Beer, alcohol-free beer, an award-winning alcohol-free beer that we started about three years ago. I... Personally, I've been in the drinks industry for about eight or nine years now. I started at Sipsmith Gin, the kind of pioneers of the gin uh, renaissance, I guess, as their export manager. So managing all their European business, exporting the kind of local market strategy, the domestic market strategy, and taking it abroad to the big gin markets of the world. And it was kind of a really lucky in a way, kind of window that I was there for because I joined when there were seven people, left when they were 70 and they'd been acquired by Beam Suntory. Um, and so I got this amazing kind of professional education of how to build a premium drinks brand globally. Mm. Um, and um, yeah, amazing uh, five, six years there. But yeah, left January 2019, start Freestyle. We launched by that summer. Yeah, June 2019, we've got about eight months of trading under our belt before um, before COVID. So very exposed to hospitality and the on-trade. So kind of switched up our whole business. And um, yeah, I've been a bit of a bumpy road, I guess, since then. Yeah. But um, yeah, since the beginning of the year, we've kind of been on the up. And um, yeah, we've got some great beers, great platform, just launched in Tesco. Uh, which we can talk about. Um, and yeah, really excited to be here. So cheers for having me on. Amazing. No worries. Absolute pleasure. Yeah. A little bit of right place, right time, I guess you'd say minus the COVID, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Although I guess you guys did thrive uh, through DTC at that time. Cool. So yeah, we're, one of the things that I really love about your brand and your marketing and your advertising in particular is you kind of do what we call like a creative product demo often and product obviously, which is one of the four P's of marketing is, is kind of central to how, how you talk about your brand um, in general and how you, pro- how you promote your brand. And one of the things you do is, is kind of like almost like the Pepsi taste test that, that mm. Pepsi used to do uh, to, to promote themselves versus Coca-Cola. And then you've got a new alcohol-free IPA and we're actually doing a small talk first today. We're doing a, a live taste test of your alcohol-free IPA against a four four percent or four plus percent yeah. uh, IPA, right? Yeah, exactly. And see if I can taste the difference. So uh yeah, ultimate kind of acid test for an alcohol free beer is whether or not it can stand up to a full strength beer. So this is our brand new batch zero zero one of our IPA. It is zero point five percent. Um and we're taste testing it against the market leading uh, full strength IPA. So they're both similar in terms of hot profile, pale ale malt, the kind of the structure and, and, and makeup of them is similar taste profile wise, but obviously one of them is alcohol full, one of them is alcohol free. So I'm going to pass these over, have a taste. All right. Can't wait. Can't wait. Should, um, uh, should level me off for the podcast as yeah. well. <laughs> cool. Any preference on which I taste first? No, just taste them both and let me know which one you prefer. And yeah, I guess we're looking for just for a little bit of indecision. Um, you know, just even that slightest bit of kind of, I'm not so sure is kind of a win for us. And if you do get it, 
then you know you've got great palate and if you don't then we've got great beer <laughs> well i'll tell you what i'm definitely not sure i prefer this one mm-hmm. i think in terms of taste nice. um which is the white one yeah okay. yeah the, the white one for people who are only listening i'm gonna do another little taste I'm also not usually a massive IPA drink, so this is probably even harder for me. Yeah, fair um, Yeah, I prefer that. I feel like this is the the non-alcohol one, and I prefer it. And I feel like this is the alcohol nice. one. But then I also, I don't know, I'd, I'd like both. At the end of the day, if I definitely, if I'd, sure <laughs> if I was doing my yeah. usual alcohol-free method, which is alcohol, alcohol-free, alcohol, yeah. alcohol-free, I definitely wouldn't be able to tell be this. Able to, yeah, okay, great. Well, you got it right. So yeah, the black one is Beaver Town's Neck Oil, okay. 4.3%, the market-leading um, IPA in the on-trade in pubs and bars and restaurants. Cool. And then the white one is our brand new Extra Time IPA. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, th- 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 you're totally right. It, it That kind of indecision, that not quite sure, but maybe is what we're looking for because yeah. that allows people to switch between alcohol full and alcohol free in the same sitting. Mm. And that's the behavior that we're seeing right now is that yeah. this is not a, I'm going to stop drinking forever, being driven by a sober lifestyle kind of uh, behavior. It's actually much more a, a switching and moderating and looking for balance. And that can happen over the course of a, a year where you might take off January or over the course of a week where you just don't drink, you know, yeah. Sunday to Thursday or in an actual evening in a pub. And so that is, yeah, that's the kind of the, the, the key to that. Um, yeah, totally. Um, I would say that they're pretty sort of indistinguishable. And if I was already a couple, couple alcohol beers down I definitely wouldn't be able to tell the kind of difference between the alcohol free yeah. or the alcohol and you're right yeah I saw a stat the other day that was saying um you know one in three pub visits now is, is alcohol free so I definitely experience that in my own habits like we were talking about it before it's almost like these, these kind of hidden strategies or tactics <laughs> that you add into you know people used to have them just of alcohol based products right to to be able to last longer and now you know you kind of got these kind of tips and strategies that I'm talking to my mates about of like you know one on one off or even some of them do uh, start with two alcohol free and then if you're still having fun just keep going alcohol free yeah. for like the rest of the night like it's, it's quite interesting yeah as, nice. as, as people start to see that there's more options and more choices their kind of yeah. drinking behaviors and habits change that's that's really interesting yeah i like that i like that strategy and, and you're totally right as distribution grows it just becomes easier for consumers to make that choice yeah funnily enough this is a movement which has been much more driven by consumers than a lot of other drinks category movements so things like the gin trend were often really pioneered by bartenders and, mm-hmm. you know, for instance, Hendrix getting into bartenders, making them fall in love with gin again. They would create cocktails and gin and tonics and that would kind of be passed on to the consumer and the consumer would then take up that trend. Yeah. Whereas something like going alcohol free is much more driven by the consumer and that's why we're actually seeing it a bit slow for the brands and the pubs and the bars and the retailers to catch up and actually increase their range. Yeah. It's still a bit slow. You can, you can still walk into pubs and bars and restaurants, even in in the middle of East London, which is meant to be the kind of, you know, the sharp end of any trend and only find a a Bex Blue or a Heineken Zero. And not that there's anything wrong with Bex Blue or Heineken Zero, but you know, you expect there to be a better choice these days. Um, And, um, and so it's catching up, it's catching up and that's just going to make it so much more easy for mm. people to, to make that choice as you said yeah I suppose it's slightly similar to the explosion of like craft beer in like the early 2000s I suppose when it was you know you'd, you'd have maybe the one option of like a beaver town or some, something like that and now you go to bars and it's literally just stocked of like craft beers and, and totally. kind of independence totally and, and, and 
Yeah, we'll see that mirror in 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 the alcohol-free yeah. beer segment as well, and that's why we've got our IPAs because actually consumers have come into the category through lagers, mm. predominantly through the big guys, yeah, because they've got the distribution. Heineken, for instance, yeah. Um, but now they they're like, oh, actually, I quite like this in my kind of evening repertoire. I quite like this um, ability to be able to kind of still socialize and go out on a weekday or whenever I don't want to drink and be able to have a beer. But now, what else is there? And actually, in my when I drink alcohol, I drink IPAs or I drink kind of more interesting crafty styles. Yeah. So actually now, now they're going to start to look much more for those interesting crafty styles. Yeah. Cause it is one, I feel like beer, it really is one of those things I have with my mates, but you really do buy into the brand, like what the brand says about you and what, what, what it sort of stands for. Like when Camden first came around, it was our drinking Camden Hells makes me a bit maybe a bit cooler or a bit edgier than, than other beers. For instance, I love Australia. I drink, drink Australia a lot people might frown or turn down on people who maybe go for an Amstel or whatever that might be. Like it really does sort of say something about you amongst your mates in terms of like what beer you might go for and what you drink similar to, you know, Peroni Asahi. It, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And, you know, I feel like the taste between those types of mainstream brand beers are is negligible. But then when you get towards the craft beers as well, there, there is a real difference. Whereas when you're talking about like low alcohol spirits, for instance, perhaps because it's mixed into a cocktail or something else, it's harder to distinguish the quality or difference between the, the spirit that you're getting. Totally. No, you're right. And, and yeah, the drink says so much about you. It's a kind of a, a kind of a social status symbol in a, in a pub or a bar or restaurant. And, um, yeah, someone walks into a bar and orders a Guinness, you know, that says something about them. Camden Hells, as you mentioned, and then people are quite loyal in beer, more loyal than in, uh, in other categories. So, you know, it looks like we've got a bit of a recession on our hands and people, you know, talk about kind of trading down in terms of the, 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 the products they buy. But actually, if you think about yourself, you might not, if you're a Camden Hells drinker, suddenly start drinking Carling. Mm. You know, it's just not something that you would necessarily sacrifice. You might drink a few less Camden Hells yeah. because you're trying to save on cash, but you're not going to start buying Sainsbury's own brand lager. Yeah. Whereas um, spirits often trade down to beer. So if you're a tequila drinker and you love, you know, really artisan tequila, uh, you might suddenly be like, actually, you know what? I need to save a bit of cash. I'm going to start drinking a bit more craft beer instead. Mm. So we've got quite a nice in theory, recession-proof category. Yeah. And people stay very loyal to the brands that they fall in love mm. with. And we touched on it quite quite a bit there. We talked about like traditional beer brands. And I guess there's quite a few conscious design decisions in Freestar itself. We talked about the, the category, the category growing and 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 you know ho- hopefully being recession proof. But I wondered if you could touch a little bit on kind of rituals and what you've borrowed from traditional beer. And you know, again, like we said there, people have their own choice of beer, people have their own rituals, people are very loyal to their choices. So making them make a switch to another product or, or even another category altogether, like alcohol free, it, it's important for brands to make that switch as easy as possible. And I feel like we we kind of spoke about it already, but a couple of the des- conscious design decisions that you've made in the brand, but but other elements of the brand help people make that switch even totally. easier. Um, yeah. I wonder if you just touch on that a bit. No, totally. Actually, Freestyle, the entire identity has been designed to allow people to seamlessly switch from alcohol full to alcohol free. And that's based on some really important insight, which is that we know that 93% of alcohol full beer drinkers, sorry, of alcohol free beer drinkers, so the people currently drinking alcohol free beer, they also drink full strength beer. So this is not a category dominated by teetotalers or sober people. You know, we're not just talking to people who are completely abstinent. This is actually talking to those who are switching and moderating and just looking for a bit more balance. So if that's true, then we need to create a brand, which as you said, makes it really easy for them to switch over. So Freestar is designed to walk and talk and look like an alcohol full beer. So this red 
identity that we have, which is really vibrant, really strong, which are kind of, you know, we're a red brand, it really dominates our identity, our website and everything. You know, that is borrowed from the classic lager tropes, the, the Budweiser, the Estrella, Camden Hells. And we want people to realize that actually this is something that they could easily switch over in an evening. And now obviously the liquid has got to be matching as well. And we've got a phenomenal lager, which is made in Belgium, which is a lovely European style Pilsner. It's really clean, refreshing, loads of mouthfeel, which is a kind of a horrible, you know, <laughs> drinks industry word for texture. But um, yeah, so it's got all this kind of, yeah, the, 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 you know, when you drink it, you're not going to be confused that it's alcohol free either. And then from a brand perspective, it fits in your hand. It shares those values. It allows people just to make that switch really easily. And then we've got the added benefit of it being very distinct in the category. So alcohol free for some reason has been dominated by blues and greens and whites and it's quite low energy. It's often been quite a kind of apologetic of being back, being alcohol free. Whereas, you know, as we know that people are switching over, we don't want them people to feel like they're having some sort of compromise when they're moving over to alcohol-free. So Freestyle's bright, it's vibrant, it's positive, it's red. It stands out on shelf as a result, but it just gives people that same type of feeling as if they were drinking an alcohol-full beer. Brilliant. I think that's, yeah, totally important. Again, I just talk about anecdotal experience of yeah myself walking into pubs and you want it to feel as 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 similar to drinking a beer as as possible. I guess the like you say, an amazing brand, by the way, no, this is not at all a criticism on there, but I have a friend called Joe who always goes through these periods of going alcohol free and alcohol full and if there wasn't a lucky saint on draft for instance he would always have like a a, a bottle of it for instance and it's that kind of blue bottle and just instantly we can tell around the table like oh you're drinking alcohol free beer and there'd be you know ridiculous jabs at him for instance for, for, for his like just random switching between uh, between the two. So I think the easier and the, the the more seamless you make it, right? The more people that you you get to switch over. Just because I mean, naturally there is there is just kind of there's not stigma attached to it. Is, is there? It's just something that feels like it's abnormal, right? Or it's mm-hmm. like a jar. It's like mm-hmm. oh, that, that's not normal. Like you're just meant to drink alcohol full beer. And people are slowly kind of switching over to that. Like we said, one in three visits being alcohol free. Um, but the easier you can make that happen, totally. the better. And I think, and yeah, you know, you're right. There is still, there is still a tiny bit of stigma and, yeah. you know, that is predominantly a UK thing just because of our drinking culture historically. And it's been, you know, it was only, you know, in the nineties that we had like binge drinking problems, you know, so it's not like yeah. it's a massive historical thing. It's actually quite mm-hmm. a recent memory. So, you know, it takes time for culture to change yeah. and there is still that, that happening. But what really helps you mentioned Lucky Saint who have done an amazing job in breaking trail in this category is that, that pint, that draft experience. Cause then as soon as you have a pint, you can split rounds, you can sit at the same table, you can look across your mates and everyone else has got pints. You can drink it at the same speed, you know, a bottle, especially alcohol free will often be gone, you know, much quicker than someone drinking a pint of alcohol full beer so that's the real leveler and that's where you sit alongside alcon and actually like i said an amazing job in getting their beer on draft across pubs and helping prove to pubs that actually there is an opportunity here for them to capture some of that third of their visits being alcohol free yeah. because the visits are alcohol free but the volume's not because the, the choice that they have in the pub is still limited so they'll go and they might stick around for one or two lime and sodas and then and then and then go yeah. but actually if there's a great alcohol free beer on tap dwell time will be longer, the, pro- the spend per head will be longer. So actually mm. the pubs and bars need to kind of up their game in terms of choice. Yeah. So three star coming to pumps near you. <laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> cool. The next thing I wanted to chat about was also connected to the brand and a little bit to the, the visual identity, but more so to do with like how, how you guys speak about the brand, I guess, is like from the outside looking in, if I had to 
get really nerdy with it and brand strategy wise if we talk about like brand archetypes it feels like your brand is really like a, a people's champion um not only because of the visual identity the, the style the red kind of gives that kind of almost like communist era kind of artistic direction to it right but equally just the the, the way that you speak and the way that you feature people from community the way that you support community initiatives which we'll go on to in a bit but it really does feel like almost like you're the beer for the people like free the people almost with alcohol free beer you can have that one for free um but <laughs> But I wondered if it, if you could talk about whether that was a conscious decision or yeah, how important kind of, you know, what, what do you feel the brand stands for and what kind of values you, you put behind? That's just my analysis. Nice. No, that's great. I think there's a lot of, a lot of that. I'm glad that some of that's, yeah, what we built in from the beginning has resonated. And yeah, we definitely wanted to be accessible. So we wanted, we didn't want to be too top shelf crafty in a way that was kind of alienating to people who are coming into the category and just wanted a great beer. And I think, yeah, one of the hero brands that did that well was Camden Hells. Um, they took a category which was mainstream lager, made it approachable, but kind of interesting enough that actually, you know, people would kind of re-enter that category. Design-wise, you know, we wanted again not to be so kind of intricate. And when you look at the when you when you look at the craft beer shelf in Sainsbury's or Tesco or wherever, it's a big mess of color and and illustration, and it's confusing. It's difficult to understand actually what some of those products are, what they're going to taste like. And for me, you know, I like shopping by label, whether it's wine, beer, whatever. Go in there, I'm like, oh, that looks great. But you know, when I'm buying craft beer, often it's like. I'm talking about full strength craft beer. Often it's like three out of five are duds because, you know, I've been drawn in by the label, but it hasn't told me anything about what it's (laughs) going to taste like. And I don't really know. And I get it. And I'm just like, actually, that tastes a bit weird. Not really for me. So we wanted to create something which was more approachable, more accessible. Yeah. More for the people. We know that this is a growing category, but still relatively small category in the wider scheme of things. So we didn't want to alienate anyone, really. We felt that it was important to have a name and a kind of symbology that was memorable. When you're small and your brand awareness is low, you need people to kind of say it off the top of their tongue, you know? So Freestar uh, is a really nice, simple two words, which can be said in any language or any tongue and recognized in any kind of language or any tongue. Uh, and then the star, which is a real symbol of beer globally. It's like ubiquitous symbol of beer, but it tends to be a five-pointed static star. So Heineken have got a red one, Stella, Estrella, Star Praman. Bintang. I mean, the list goes on globally. It's this kind of ubiquitous symbol for, I guess, quality because it's a star. But we wanted to be the next generation of that. So we made an eight-pointed star. We had it moving through the line work. So it's kind of dynamic and more exciting. And it represents kind of the future of beer. So yeah, so free is alcohol-free, freedom of choice, as you mentioned. And then the star is our beer. And that's cool. like, it's alcohol-free beer. Yeah. Rebellion, freedom, future-facing. Exactly. All, yeah, all, nice. good, all good tropes. Yeah, one of the things that I, I wanted to speak about, we sort of talked about product and we'll keep talking about product throughout this because it is really an important part of marketing, probably the most vital part of marketing. It always starts there. But one of the things that I think you guys do really well and 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 masterfully kind of combine and and people often forget this as well, but it's sort of price and price and promotion. Um, and they kind of work hand in hand. Pricing is obviously your pricing strategy and when you should discount and when you shouldn't discount and not cheapening the brand, but at the same time, making it feel like there's these exclusive offers that might pop up, et cetera. But then, and then promotion at the same time is, I guess, ha- how you promote those pricing changes. Do you just have it as like a, you know, two for one or, you know, again, Tesco's invent the meal deal. Like there's these, these almost these kind of like taglines and sub brands that become, you know, aware in, in, in people 
people's minds and you've got quite a quite a few good ones that, that you've kind of brought to life and I just wanted to kind of touch on one whether you think they work and kind of how important they are and if there are some rules for when people should do them when people shouldn't I think like one of my favorite ones I've seen you guys do is the kind of 25% off for under 25s and that lasts literally all the way until you become 26 so if you wanted to keep just smashing the code uh, to get 25% off you could but I thought that was a ri- rather than just saying we're giving 25% off our beers this week it's a really clever way of kind of building a certain community of people and saying kind of where for this type of person and here's a deal that's unique to those those type of people and you've got you've got other ones like the beer for a mate and you know but when you buy a crate of beer then you can send another four pack to, to a mate, for instance. And they're just quite clever pricing promotions um, that don't feel like cheap discounts. They feel like uh, value adds. Mm. Um, yeah. Nice. I think you're totally right. And, and I'm glad you noticed both of those campaigns because they're both designed to do something similar, but we didn't want to cheapen the brand, as you said, and, and devalue it with just a straightforward price promotion. But it's all about getting people to trial. You know, sampling when you're a small drinks brand especially is really hard you know in supermarket you can't just crack one open and try it and if you discover it in the on trade if you've got good distribution hospitality that's great but actually you know in the last couple of years we've been so focused online we've been trying to figure out ways to get more beer to more people and specifically our target um under 25s you know we are a craft beer we are it is expensive to make it's, it's expensive to distribute you know our prices are in the kind of premium end of beer but we know that young people are drinking less than any uh, other demographic so we want to make it approachable for them so rather than just kind of pushing a a promotion down university avenue or something we just make it you know more affordable for under 25s forever on our website and the great thing about shopify is that you can just kind of have that discount expire on there morning of the 26th birthday you know it's literally yeah but then but then trial is really important so if someone loves it and they want to refer it rather than giving them a discount code we'll actually send them some free beer so there's a um there's a really nice kind of chain of 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 referral there as well as sampling but yeah they're interesting ways to do it and they're not cheap whichever way you cut it you know there is a you know, there it's low margin sending around bags and crates of beer liquid across the country. But actually, if you can convert someone to become a loyal fan for life, then it could be worth it. You know, totally, totally agree. One of the next things I want to chat about was particularly around uh, another thing we could leave before we sort of talk about this is, and I think again it builds into that idea about, about community and the fact that you are a brand for the people. And again, some of these things are probably just subliminal as well that that you guys just do it because your entrepreneurs and your founders and that's just the value that you guys share between each other but it was something that you set up during i think it was during covid initially and then you've kept doing it which is your your hotline um basically i'll let you kind of explain a little bit more about what it is but i just want to understand a little bit more about how successful it's been and actually because we're, we're big believers of the advertising industry is awful for it they say that they want more kind of diverse talent or, or talent from unique places um but then aren't willing to put things together to actually be able to find that talent and, and nurture it. And again, I haven't really gone into detail about what it is, but your hotline is, is a way of doing that. And I'm just interested to know how it's gone, how you found it as a brand. And also if you've unearthed, is it anyone special that you might have unearthed for you as a brand, but or other brands in general? Yeah, no, thanks. Yeah. The hotline is something we're really proud of. So uh, to give a bit of context, it was October, 2020. And, um, you know, so we're still kind of in and out of lockdowns, you know, and um, there was a stat release that, you know, job, uh, sorry, unemployment for young people uh, was at an all time high or the highest it'd been for 12 years, I think it was basically since the recession. And everyone was doing all of the, everyone was doing Stoptober and there was all this kind of Stoptober stuff. Uh, but actually we decided not to do Stoptober as a brand and did 
Jobtober. And so for a month, we're going to basically open up our Friday afternoons and allow anyone young and unemployed to basically ring in and get half an hour of speed mentoring. And we amassed about 12 friends in different industries so that we could basically help anyone get into pretty much whatever industry. We had someone in fashion, someone in advertising, someone in finance, a lawyer, you know, friends our age who were just willing to give away their Friday afternoons for a month to help young and unemployed people. And it was basic stuff. People wanted to, you know, help their CV being written or, or, or prepare for a job interview or sometimes just have a, have a chat because it was COVID. And actually, if you remember back to when you were young and trying to get a job, you know, you would probably go for a coffee with a friend of a friend who said, you know, go, you know, they're in your industry. They'll give you some pointers, you know, and that kind of like basic networking just wasn't available to people. So we were like, let's try and, you know, recreate that and just, you know, help people and mentor them. And we got the word out there, got featured on a few jobs boards and, and got a bit of press, organic. And we got, yeah, we had tons of people come through. I think it was maybe, you know, we probably each were doing kind of like three or four a week at some point. And it was great. And then there was follow-on sessions and we got, a few people got jobs and we we're like, let's just extend this, you know, let's keep on going, blast through the end of October. And we did the whole year. And, you know, it wasn't that, Every Friday afternoon was completely blocked, but we and, and we got more flexible and we'd just do half an hour mentoring sessions here and there. By the end of the year, we had logged kind of over 200 hours. We had mentored north of 250 people, more than two dozen people had gotten jobs. And so we just kept it going and employment has gotten much better now. So the hotline has had different kind of peaks and troughs and we've opened up a kind of a sub part of it called the, um, uh, which is much more focused on, um, entrepreneurship. So people are looking to start their own businesses. Um, yeah, the, all of a sudden we've got now, uh, young people who are coming through, who want to trademark their, um, you know, their business and they don't know how to, or they want to get a, a license or whatever it is. And so we help them through little kind of quirks and things like that. And it's been amazingly successful. Um, and it's something that we can continue to do because as a small business, we always wanted to do something impactful, socially impactful. Um, but we don't have the ability to write loads of huge checks yeah. and time is something that we can give, you know, and we've got quite a lot of experience as a founding team and also our network of friends starting other businesses also have quite a lot of experience. So we're at that level where actually we can share a bit of knowledge and help. Um, and now we also work with the charity who help young people get away from a life of gangs and violence called Street Elite. Um, and they are a kind of feeder for the entrepreneur side of the hotline. So they've got a bunch of kids in their cohort every year who want to learn how to start businesses and they've got ideas and they don't know where to start. And so we bring on like six or seven of them every year and they become more long-term mentees. Um, and we work with them on a kind of weekly basis and help them get their business off the ground. It's been amazing and it's been really great community building and, um, and it's a big part of our B Corp certification, which is uh, we're the first alcohol-free beer in the world to get a B Corp certification, which we're very proud of. And normally people on B Corp focus on the environment side, but actually we're focused on the social impact side even more so. You know, I think what shouldn't be forgotten, and B Corp are very, they're very, they're very bullish about this, is that, you know, this is a commercial opportunity as well. We're a small band, small business. We're not just trying to throw money down the drain or throw time down the drain. We are trying to build a community of people who love our brand and will hopefully become, you know, uh, purchasers and buyers at Freestar. And actually, you know, this is not, we shouldn't be ashamed of, um, of building community from a commercial perspective, but doing good at the same time. Um, and I think that's what's really important about the B Corp angle and stuff. This is businesses for profit, for good. And we're not a full-time charity. We are a business 
we're trying to make some money and we're trying to create, you know, livelihoods for our kids, et cetera. So it's a, it's a, I would always recommend people that, you know, when you're looking at these kind of opportunities, you know, think, you know, think normally and outwardly about, uh, the commercial aspect as well. Um, so it's an amazing, uh, program and hopefully it will, you know, it will benefit us long-term as well. Yeah. Brilliant. What's been like one of your favorite success stories from, it could be from street elite or just the, the, from the mentoring the hotline. hotline. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. So success stories from the mentoring hotline. Yeah. We've had, um, almost 30 people have got jobs as a direct result, but from the street elite side, which is really kind of amazing to see, cause you know, these are kids literally on the edge of, so at threat of falling into kind of gangs and violence and then coming through and, and starting their own businesses. And, um, Zakira who's just started making, so she is a Muslim passionate chef and she saw that there was very little halal Korean food. She saw Korean food was having a massive trend online and, you know, um, all the kind of big, exciting, spicy Asian flavors, but there was very little halal versions. So she started making Korean food in her kitchen and selling it to her, her estate. And it became so popular. She's now, and Eddie, my co-founder has helped her with this, you know, trademark, get a license, find a commercial kitchen. You know, she came to us with a problem which I wish we had, which was, I cannot make enough. (laughs) It sells out, you know, and I can't keep on making it in my mum's kitchen. It's just too much. And so, yeah, Zach's Fusion Fusion Kitchen is the name of it. I think she's still, I think she's now on Deliveroo and stuff, but, you know, it's still very much locally based and she's still making it herself. I mean, she had the concept, she saw her, she had the vision, she saw the gap in the market. Uh, We just helped her with the kind of the building blocks and getting it all sorted. Amazing kind of, yeah, story from, uh, from the mentoring hotline, yeah. Big up Zach's Fusion Kitchen. Yeah. A little shout out, shout <laughs> yeah. out on there. I'll be looking on delivery later. Yeah. See, see if, it's, <laughs> she, if she's delivering to me. Cool. A, a, kind of a bit of a segue, segue from that. But again, we, this has kind of come up through the whole conversation we're having, but this idea that brand very much isn't a noun. Your brand isn't like a, a static thing that you create. It's not a brand book. It's not a, It's not just a logo and a design. It is this kind of, it's, a, it's ultimately a business's reputation and it's a business's community. There's actually something interesting that you posted on LinkedIn that I, that I, was, I was kind of reading as I was researching for this that kind of alluded to that but the fact that you know a a brand in in the future is only as good as the relationships that it has with its consumers and in particular as you start to move towards everyone again everyone uses this catch-all term of gen z which again i think is is kind of bollocks because there's that's basically all young people there's so many different nuances within that and types types of young people but yeah i just wanted to to kind of maybe talk to you about how important you think that your your kind of relationship of your your consumers also a really terrible word your consumers uh, relationship with your people effectively um your beer drinkers effectively is um and how much they are the brand like how much you try and put them front and center um through things like again street elite even if they don't drink the beer they're still part of your community um the actual people drinking the beer the under 25s etc etc yeah i do think you're right i think the people who are consuming your product you know, they really are your product and actually they, they're not your product, but they are your brand. Sorry. Um, as you said, but it's always a balance because you know, what's funny and, and, and this is where as founders, you've got to be quite open. You know, you can be like, look, I've got this amazing target consumer. This is a demographic. This is where they live. I'm going to write a pen portrait and they drink this coffee and you can get really detailed and you can create a whole kind of story. Right. And then actually, uh, you go and you figure out that actually your consumer is actually quite a different person Yeah, and you shouldn't be scared of that. And that's fine. And it doesn't matter 
if like your absolute vision hasn't landed exactly where you wanted it to, but you just got to be open and receptive to all that feedback. Yeah. I'm, I'm reading a really funny article about the hard seltzers um, uh, recently. And, you know, obviously in the States, it's all these like gym going bro guys drinking hard seltzers and they're all college students and stuff. And then they've tried to make that work over here and actually found out that it's all kind of like middle-aged guys who are looking to not drink so much beer, but they're quite suburban and they work mm. in insurance and they're not, you know, their target, yeah. but they won't listen and they're still trying to push it on all the, <laughs> on all the young people. And they're like, we don't really want to drink hard seltzer. It tastes weird. And yeah, like, yeah. we're not, you know, gym going bros. And so yeah. hard seltzer has basically failed over here. Um, mm. you know, it just hasn't caught on the same way it has in the States. Um, so I think it's important you kind of listen and adapt. That freestyle is still probably too small to really properly say like, this is our, this is our perfect, you know, target yeah. consumer that the, the alcohol free beer market is growing like crazy and it's growing across all demographics. So I think you're right. You know, it's not just Gen Z, there's nuance there. And there might be a 50 year old who has the same lifestyle and rhythm and energy as a 25 year old mm. and there might be a 25 year old who lives his or her life like a 50 year old you know what i mean so it's more yeah. about your your own personal way of being but then what's interesting about this category is that it is growing across the board and every generation is drinking less being driven by young people when i say young people i mean kind of 20 uh, i mean under 40 year olds you know and and specifically 18 to 34 year olds is the kind of the sweet spot of yeah. of of where the volume's coming from but yeah, we, we talk much more about a lifestyle or an attitude when we're talking about our consumer, yeah. um, uh, as opposed to pigeonholing them into a, an age bracket or a uh, demographic. Yeah. You touched upon it earlier about this kind of, yeah, a, a brand which is accessible for the people and much more easy to kind of pick up and seamlessly switch into your evening. Um, and, you know, and people who are, are willing to kind of make that choice are the kind of mm. people that we're looking for. So it's more of an attitude driven approach yeah psychographics not demographics which is the fancy wanky advertising word for it yeah and i guess our our advice always to to clients and no matter how small they are is just i guess you have the same approach in terms of like you said trial and and sampling but from our perspective it's can we create a customer council can we get you know 50 and when i used to work at adidas was actually something they they were really adamant at doing and they had this thing called the tango squad which was these small pods or groups of young kids who were really hyper obsessed about football um, and they would regularly communicate to them about product they would get their opinions on things that they're putting out there whether it's marketing communication whether it's a new football that's coming out they'd gift them new boots early and have them put it was really this it was almost like a flywheel of like a small community that helped promote the brand but also help them iterate on what's cool what's not what they liked about products what they didn't like about products and kind of always was always took that with me throughout my career to say to brands like you should you should have something like that within within your brand where you you have a a quick line into 10 people who drink your beer on a regular basis or 10 people who use your product on a regular basis and it sounds like you guys kind of kind of are trying yeah. to do that and, and, well, and do, do that the, the, the hotline is actually kind of morphed into a whatsapp group which is great yeah. so we've got a really nice kind of community of I can't remember how many it's kind of the tighter and we post job opportunities mm. on there and then other resources. And so there's maybe 50 to hundred people on there who are just getting like regular, you know, and someone, I don't know, university college London will release some sort of like open source uh, yeah. resource for writing the best CV ever or something. And then yeah. we'll post that link on there. And so, that, yeah, we've got that. That's kind of a nice way to touch into that community. We'll get to Adidas level soon. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe we can, maybe we can help out with a little bit of that. Talk to me about, uh, being in Tesco's and, and other retailers. I guess one of the things I really want to speak to you about was 
there's been, there was this massive explosion of D2C companies um, over, you know, probably, well, especially over lockdown. And it's almost like people got kind of fat on Facebook ads and over-reliant almost on on that as a, as a distribution channel. Cleverly, you guys kind of didn't, you've kind of hedged your bets and yes, you are available D2C, but you also, you know, are, are on the on-trade. You're also um, uh, available through Tesco's um, as well as some other Sainsbury's as well, right? Mm-hmm. I wonder, and and that's one of the things that we we always say to to clients who who are now coming to us who are are D two C and saying, right, I need to get into Tesco's now, I need to get into Sainsbury's because it's 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 slowed up, it's dried up. They're falling back onto Amazon again and things like that. And we're we're helping them put campaigns out that maybe do tactical out of home around you know go, when they go to a Sainsbury's or a Tesco, saying to them, look, we're going to invest X amount advertising um, if you stock us and doing some tactical um, campaigns around around those locations and those areas. It was really interesting to see that kind of shift from D to C into retail. How important is retail to your retail partners? And is there any advice you can kind of give in terms of brands who are trying to sell into those partners? Like how, how do they, what are your yeah. top tips for kind of getting, um, getting stocked? No, I think you're, you're totally right. The D to C bubble is maybe not burst, but it's definitely deflated a bit. Specifically in beverages, it's a really tight margin game, like really, really tight shipping and everything and acquiring customers online. You know, there's so much saturation ads, as you said. So cost of acquisition plus the cost of shipping, breakages, et cetera. It's just becomes like almost a brand building channel for beverages. Now, if you've got a higher value item, my wife's in jewelry, for instance, tiny packages, super light, you can flip them through the post office system, um, high order value, it works. But I would say that having availability in the off-trade and retail is super important for food and drink. And yeah, it hedges your bets, but also it is still the number one way we shop, especially in the UK, for food and drink. There is a different behavior there than fashion, for instance, which is, you know, which is much more, yeah, it's a lot easier to do that online. And the retailers these days are actually, they're quite good. So they, they support small brands. They've got reduced payment terms if you're a certain size. They're, they're in deep competition with each other. So they're trying to get new, exciting categories and brands on their shelves. Now, it's obviously very competitive. And I would recommend anyone who wants to get into a big four, i.e. Sainsbury's, Tesco, Asda Morrison, just there is not an earlier, there's no, there's no early time to start that conversation. You can't say it's too early to start that conversation. We first met Tesco more than two and a half years ago and we launched for them last week because it takes ages, because they're slow moving machines, but also because you're going to want to build a relationship with that buyer. First of all, it might take you, you know, 12 weeks just to get on the phone with them. It might take you another 20 weeks to get in the room with them. And, you know, and that, at, at that point, you know, you're kind of showing them your products, you're tasting it. They're talking about their range reviews, which only happen every six to eight months, maybe a year, depending on the category. Uh, so there's so much lead time there and you need to build it up to it. And as you said, they want to see some brand traction because they don't want to see, they don't want to put on a completely unheard of brand necessarily without there being some other channel, which they're big in. So it could be D2C, which is great. You can talk about, you know, how much, how many customers you've got D2C and, you know, your database that you can push towards Tesco, et cetera. It could be that you've got a huge hospitality presence and you're in tons of bars or restaurants or whatever your category is. So they do want to see that. Or it could be, you could show, look, we're doing this campaign or we did this campaign. You know, we're all over billboards. You know, they definitely want to see some of that. When you're pitching for a listing, when you get to the point where you're kind of really pitching for a listing, then I think they'll want to see your plans that are happening in parallel with that listing. So, you know, we just launched, they wanted to see our World Cup plans, which is just on the horizon. I don't know when this podcast will definitely go out, probably in the middle of the World Cup, but look out for Freestyle's campaign in the World (laughs) Cup. They want to see our dry January plans that was going to be happening alongside the Tesco 
plan. So we'll have a promotional plan in, in January at Tesco and we'll have maybe sampling or whatever extra visibility we've invested in, in store, but then they want to see exactly what we're doing on our own channels to complement that. So yeah, definitely have a robust uh, own channel plan as well as what you would do with them in store with their media or promotion or whatever it is. And then just get that conversation started early. I'm definitely of the believer, and maybe that's just my professional education, that if you've got a premium brand and you've got other channels apart from retail where you can build the brand, i.e. in drinks, we've got pubs and bars and restaurants, I don't think it's brand damaging to go into a Tesco. If you're 100% retail focused and your pyramid literally looks like Fortnum & Mason, Planet Organic, Tesco, then yeah, fair enough. Maybe it does make sense to wait. But if you've got other channels where you can brand build, I think actually having availability in a national retailer is more important uh, to your consumer. They can discover it in your highly experiential festival circuit or on trade or wherever your, wherever your kind of image forming channel is. And then being able to buy it in Tesco is great. I mean, you can buy, you know, you can buy a 150 pound bottle of whiskey in Tesco. You can buy a seven pound New England IPA limited edition that's only released 400 cans in Tesco. You know, there are some super premium experiences and products in there. Mm. Um, I sound like I work for Tesco, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I do believe that it's a, that availability is, is really important if you can build your visibility elsewhere. Cool. Brilliant. I mean, that's probably the best summary anyone's ever going to get about uh, why you should be in retail and how, how to get into retail. Of course, as we head towards sort of the end, end of the conversation, I guess one of the things that we always ask guests when they come on typically is a challenge that either they're facing as a brand or they feel that the category they're in is facing um, in general. And we kind of started speaking about this before we, we went live. One of the things that I guess is a challenge that you, that you kind of discussed is this idea that, okay, well, the, you know, before there were only a few players in alcohol free, um, in alcohol free beer in particular. Now, increasingly, there's far more competition. And I, I suppose, again, you're not just competing with, uh, other alcohol free brands. You're also competing with, with full, you know, full volume, um, alcohol beer as well. And one of the things, one of the challenges, I guess, that you kind of, uh, right, rightly earmarked is how do you begin to stand out in that market when everybody says, Oh, alcohol free is just this thing over here and they don't really see brand in that in that section perhaps at the moment and they're 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 a couple of strong brands um you guys you guys included i suppose but how do you start to to stand out um i guess that was one of the challenges that you said is that that correct in yeah i think so i think um this is a exciting growing category fastest growing category in um in beers wise and spirits for instance at the moment um but it is still relatively small you know you know, overall penetration of beer, of alcohol-free beer into beer is still only 2%. So one out of 50 beers sold in the UK is alcohol-free. Uh, compare that to Spain, where it's one out of six, or Germany, where it's one out of 10, you know, so we've got a long way to go. Um, but it's crowded. You know, the big guys are there, Heineken Zero. Every day I see a new um, macro produced beer come out with their 0%, so Stella, Corona, Guinness, you know, they've all got them now, right? Um, whereas before it was just Bex. <laughs> um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, and then as, alongside that, you've also got the independent craft beers. So there's a crowded shelf, a lot of people trying to push different messaging and different ABVs and, you know, trying to recruit at the same time. So I think the big challenge we have is, you know, how do we grow this category together, but also remain distinctive and, and, and different. Um, and, um, and I think, and I think really, um, has to be first of all about your product. As you said, that's, that's crucial. And we're really confident in our liquids. We've got two knockout standout beers as we demonstrated earlier on. Uh, and then, and then it's all about building that brand loyalty and that love. And, 
And I think having a uh, an understanding of of what people really want when they come to the category is is really important. And and that um, yeah, distinctive um, and memorable brand experience when they first come in, because frankly, people are coming into this category all the time and we want them to have a great experience no matter which brand they go in through. Um, uh, and so that they stay in the category and they explore the category a bit. Um, and so, um, hope they land on Freestar and stay with Freestar. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so everything I talked about in terms of our identity, our tone of voice, the community that we're building, um, yeah, some of the extracurricular stuff like uh, the mentoring hotline, but still having an eye on that as being a commercial opportunity as well as a uh, community building opportunity. Um, you know, that kind of stuff that just adds to the experience and allows people to fall in love with, um, hopefully for a lifetime, the brand. Yeah. And I think, I guess my answer to that challenge for any, any of those brands watching and, and, and to you, I guess, suppose is, is the, the key word you, you touched on there is, is distinction. There are very few totally different products from each other. I guess that, you know, usually it's within tech when Apple dropped the first iPhone, it was a totally different product, maybe Tesla when they released their, their EV, for instance. But other than that, the, the main thing that separates different products is the, the brand is the, having a distinction in what, okay, what does drinking this beer say about me and, and what can I easily memorize and remember about this beer, uh, about this product or this beer, for instance. And like we, we spoke about before, like alcohol, uh, full beer is one of the places where that happens the most, right? I think two brilliant examples for me within that. And it's always probably the, the more Americanized brands because they are just quite brash of their advertising and marketing. But you've got Cause, which was always ice cold refreshment and always known as, you know, the, this is the ice cold beer. If you want an ice cold beer, this is the beer to have, which is maybe not necessarily true, but they, they, that's what the kind of marker they put in the ground and from their adverts with Jean-Claude Van Damme and, you know, a bunch of other um, kind of visual cues that they put in there. People know it as kind of the ice cold beer, regardless if they like it or not. And I guess Budweiser is the other example of that, right? Or in particular, Bud Light and the kind of um, the adverts that they put out through the Super Bowl, things like, yeah, the king of beer, right? This is the king of beers. What a great thing to be known as, right? And whether you actually think that the product is any better than the others, you know that Budweiser is the king of beers. So it's, I guess you don't, you, you, you're starting again, probably the two biggest brands in your space or like the, the brands that I rate the most in terms of putting a stake in the ground, Lucky Saint, and then yourselves with Freestar, will need to kind of become known as, okay, what is this, what is this the alcohol-free beer for? At the beginning, it was fine to just be an alcohol-free beer. And it's like, okay, this is the choice that is alcohol-free compared to the, those other ones that we talked about. But as more alcohol-free beers come about, it needs to be like, okay, well, what does drinking Lucky Saint sort of say about me? Is it something to do with virtue and being virtuous? Okay, what does drinking Freestar say for me? Is it that I'm a man of the people is it that i'm a beer drinker of the people for instance and you know we're kind of leading this this revolution which is i think sounds probably, good to me probably a more <laughs> yeah probably a more uh, uh, uh probably a more uh, active rather than passive stance um so yeah i think that's that's the the really sort of exciting no, that's, that's that, i think you're right and, and beer the alcohol full beer world is the perfect place to look for inspiration i mean i hope we'll be sponsoring the super bowl soon yeah. but um <laughs> but um but yeah, highly competitive. They've yeah. got to have these points of distinction. You're right. The liquids at, at a given point, you know, brewers are just getting better and better at making alcohol-free beer. Mm. Um, you know, the, the kind of the quality is just going up and up and up. And, you know, there will be a point where, you know, you're right. The, the distinction between the quality won't be that high. There might be slightly different styles and flavors mm. and people might choose stuff just on, you know, a Camden Hells versus a Meantime. 
you know, but really like they're both great lagers. Yeah. Um, and so you're not, you know, it's more about what it says about you when you pick it up. Yeah. I don't have the answer to that yet. That's like, you know, oh. big brand mission, um, Again, kind of like stuff. Exactly. Nice. No, I like the way you fed that in. That's yeah. smart. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it, you're totally right. It's going to become about how it makes you feel. And it goes back to our point, uh, you know, Guinness has done a great job about that as yeah. well. It's like they've made people feel a certain way when you get given a Guinness at the bar yeah. uh, because of their advertising, because of it. And actually, if you speak to someone who really loves stout, Guinness is not a great stout. You yeah. know, it's, it's, it's a pretty average one. But, you know, the way their distribution and their advertising has allowed them to become the absolute dominant player in that category. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't even name you another yeah, stout yeah. brand. <laughs> yeah, literally. People, it's synonymous, right? People just say Guinness instead of stout. It's like incredible. Guinness is synonymous for yeah. stout. That's really yeah. interesting. So actually one one thing that I you know wasn't planned to chat about, but you just mentioned it there. And I know, for instance, you've had a lot of, uh, it seems like the brand is, is kind of intertwined with football quite a lot and sport. And I mean, beer, beer brands until they couldn't really, you know, advertise anymore really on, on, on shirt were, were synonymous Carlsberg with Liverpool, et cetera, uh, and Newcastle with kind of Newcastle Brown Ale. But you guys do have, you know, released a, a, an IPA which specifically for the women's Euros, which is now the, the rebranded as the free IPA, the new IPA. And you obviously spot, uh, kind of work with Street Elite and, and that's part of your community. Two questions in that, I guess, is like, uh, where does that come from and do you continue to do you want to continue to be in in the kind of footballing world I suppose or sports in general and then also do you feel like because alcohol free beer is alcohol free do you feel like that actually that might be an opportunity for for beer brands or or well alcohol free brands to actually get back involved with sponsoring football I, I actually I hadn't thought about it previously but I actually think it's again I don't see why they it shouldn't be allowed and actually yeah. probably quite a positive message if you you totally. know I'm a Chelsea fan but if you had free star just on the front yeah. of the Chelsea show I'd be loving that so yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, now I know you're a Chelsea fan. It's a shame, but yeah. <laughs> no, no. Uh, no, football is, 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 a, is a really important part of our brand world, for sure. Yeah, yeah it's um, something we're really passionate as a team, about as a team, which is crucial, I think, in any, you know, founder-led brand kind of activation. If the, if the team doesn't know about it and care about it, then the execution will be sloppy. Yep. So we really care about football um, and specifically about this new generation of football. Like, we've seen drinking culture has changed enormously over the last five years. There's been a massive, you know, movement moderation as we all know well as maybe we know in this room but as people are beginning to figure out but there's also been a huge change in football culture so I think the women's Euros last summer really exemplified that but you know it's being driven from the grassroots up all the way through to the men's team I mean the makeup of the men's national team now like Marcus Rashford and his impact work social impact work and Trent Alexander-Arnold's charity and stuff I mean it's completely different to the kind of you know Euro 96 team do you know what I mean mm. uh, with Gaza and Paul Lentz and, and Psycho and all of that so it's um, there's been this enormous change in culture across the board and we think and, and alongside drinking culture and beer and football go together hand in hand so we think there's actually a really nice opportunity for an alcohol free beer to cement themselves in this new generation of football culture and so uh, yeah so we we do loads of work across football this summer we did release the IPA under limited edition in collaboration with Indivisa which is a women's media football platform and the Goalpost League which is a grassroots female football league in Hackney. We hosted a tournament um, in Haggerston. We had yard sale pizza down there. We had 120 
amateur female footballers playing in a tournament. It was amazing. Got to check out the Goalpost League. They're an incredible community-driven female football league. And that is where, you know, the grassroots is really where this change in football has has come. Uh, But then you start going up the pyramid and it's changing all the way across the board from Dulwich Hamlets FC, which I'm sure, you know, every hipster listening to this based in London has been (laughs) down to that stadium, through to Forest Green Rovers, world's first vegan football stadium. So they've got vegan pies, but then the entire kind of stadium that they're building is going to be made out of reclaimed timber and stuff. They're really amazing, sustainable model. Uh, Lewis FC in Sussex, which is paying its male team and its female team the exact same amount. There's just a general groundswell of change in football. Um, and so, yeah, Freestar is is really nicely positioned in this culture and in this world. We're doing some really fun stuff for the World Cup, which at the time of the release of this, which might be live. So check out our Instagram and our website, some of the World Cup campaigning we're doing. And, and then alongside that, sport, yeah, alcohol-free beer and sport actually have been going together quite a long time. So German beers have often sponsored marathons and cycling events. It's often individual sports, but freestyle is much more focused on the social, the team sport and specifically football. Uh, Yeah, we're going to be doing some stuff in January as well. Keep an eye out around football and hosting more grassroots stuff, tournaments, players. We think we, yeah, we don't know if we get to Chelsea level yet, but definitely want to sponsor <laughs> some uh, some five-side football teams. Yeah, yeah. So if anyone's listening and they've got a, a team that's looking for some sponsorship and they're... Yeah. Uh, I've got a seven-a-side team, so I might, take, I might take you up on that. Actually, yeah, yeah. yeah, something we're definitely interested in talking about. But yeah, we see it's a huge opportunity and yeah, Freestar and football are going to be intertwined forevermore. Okay, brilliant. Um, and then, yeah, just finally, uh, who should we have on next? Preferably a, a brand owner that you know, love, aspire to. Um, okay, cool. Yeah, I've got two, both in the drink space, both who I think would be interested. One is uh, Bativo. For me, they're kind of the number one alcohol-free aperitif alternative. It's completely different than you've ever tried anything on the market. It's um, it's actually a honey and vinegar base, but it's incredible flavor, rich deep complexity and um, yeah, stocks in like River Cafe and places like that, but they just started. So brand new and their founding team are really interesting and have got an amazing product, genuinely amazing product. And then Punchy, which I think are the really exciting answer to the soft drink, the adult soft drink game, which has always been a conundrum, the adult soft drink, you know, what's an adult soft drink? And, and they've got really delicious flavors, great brand, great kind of distribution across London. Uh, and their founders are, are really interesting and they've been on a real amazing journey as well. So of um, yeah, Punchy and Bativo, two beverages, I know. Yeah, we're quick becoming a, a beverages specialist okay. podcast. No, I can think it's food as well. No, honestly, that's great. Honestly, those, those two, those okay, two are nice. great. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> we, we do love having beverage companies on I feel like they're yeah again highly competitive which means that the need to be distinctive is mm. is, is massive so yeah um, and no don't worry about that at all yeah I was yeah just off uh, my I would, the Sipsmith team has changed so much since they got acquired mm. that even though the story's good I think um, yeah the founders have like taken a proper step back yeah. and not the same people unfortunately yeah and, and if I think of anyone else I don't know but those two are both making a good cool. introduction I think brilliant I've been Dan If you like the podcast, please share it on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, or even just to a mate. If you or anyone you know runs a brand that you think would be perfect for Small Talk, then get them to hit us up on hello at smallworld.marketing. We're Small World, and this was Small Talk.